It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that dares to mix comics and politics. I'm Brett, and we've got an awesome show tonight. But before I do our introduction of our great guests and what we're going to talk about, I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How are you doing? I'm really great. Um, I've been really wanting to have the guests we're about to have on for a while, as soon as I heard this project announced. So I thank them for their time. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Uh, well, we got guests, and we're talking about Puerto Rico Strong, which is a comics anthology coming out this week and explores what it means to be Puerto Rican and the diversity that exists within, within that concept from today's most exciting, exciting Puerto Rican comics creators. Uh, even better than that, all profits go towards disaster relief cover programs to support Puerto Rico. Uh, the comic out uh, March 14th in comic shops and March 27th in bookstores. You can pre-order it uh, via Amazon, hit up your comic shop, and it's going to be available digitally in the U.K. Like, go support it and uh, go do a good thing because, you know, money goes towards charity. Um, so two of the folks behind it are our guests tonight. We've got Marco Lopez and Desiree Rodriguez. Marco Lopez is the creator of the web comics Massively Effective, A Shot of Whiskey, and Ryan's Belt, which uh, led to his work with Line Forge and Xenoscope, and he released recently returned to Lion Forge with the Puerto Rico Strong Anthology. Uh, Desiree Rodriguez is a pop culture critic and, uh, who has written women write about comics, nerds of color, and has covered various topics on race, uh, Latin identity, and sexuality in her spare time. She's one of the co-hosts for the DC TV Classics podcast and currently works for Lion Forge as an editorial system and a retur- uh, editorial assistant and a returning guest to the show. So welcome both to the show. It's a great topic. Hey, what's up? Thank you for having me back, guys. Your listeners are going to get tired of me being on here. <laughs> no, no, it's been several months. I think we're good. You could come back every week. It really wouldn't be an issue. We have a lot to talk about. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I... You know what I love about this, uh, being on this for the first time, is your intro music like gave me Mega Man flashbacks in the best way. Yeah. I was sitting oh, here yeah. in my room like, Pretending I was Mega Man running. <laughs> <laughs> with, with slight uh, slight PTSD, not being able to get through certain boards and all everything that comes with Mega Man. Oh, yeah, I, I get it every time you listen. Um, yeah, I was that's totally <laughs> yeah, that's totally, totally, it's totally in there. Um, my, my brother did it. I, he, I was like, make something that sounds like an Iron Maiden song, but just, you know, just synthesize it so you don't have time to actually put something together with a band. And that, that's what she came out with. And then I said, this reminds me of that weird Gemini level on, on Mega Man. And I couldn't, I hardly ever played that game. It's kind of weird that it even stuck in my mind that lot. But it's, it's what it came out like. So it's funny you should mention that. So you guys both obviously have nerd roots that go quite deep. Um, I, you know, uh, Marco, how did you get started making comics? Uh, um I'll do the short version. Um, trial and error. <laughs> um, I uh, started wanting to make comic books when I was a teenager to the regret of my parents. Um, you know, being a Hispanic kid and having, you know, if you're Puerto Rican or any uh, Hispanic um, ethnicity, your parents want you to do something that's very um, – uh, and I don't want to say generic, but you know they want you to go for the job that they know you like. You won't live in destitute. Yeah. <laughs> so when we moved to New York, and I was like, I want to make comics. 
not the happiest moment of their life. Um, when I graduated high school, I, you know, started pursuing it doing the uh, trial and error of comics. Um, at one point, it's funny enough, had back in the early 2000s, C.D. Sabulski had a uh, independent uh, publishing company. Um, and I had something going with him that never came about because um, uh, he closed his publishing company. But uh, after years off and on of, you know, trying and not trying and basically at some point just not giving, giving uh, you know, about comic books, um, I, around 2000, uh, I think it was 15, I, um, I was friend, I'm friends with Brandon Easton, and I went to, I think it was WonderCon, that WonderCon there, and he was like, come down, and he's like, I'll introduce you to some of the Lion Forge guys. And I went down there and went all nice dressed and then had a business card and brought some previews of some work that I was working on. Um, and then nothing really happened until I moved back to Florida. And then I contacted uh, Carl Reed and I just said, screw it. I'll just send him a, a message on Facebook and, um, you know, tell him about Brandon and the whole thing at WonderCon. And then that led from one thing to another, and I did some web stuff, and I had my own uh, website, and basically I would just, you know, put up, you know, comics to point at and be like, look, I can make comics, because they tell you, if you want to get in this business, show us that you can make comics. So that was the mm-hmm. whole point of the website. Look, I make comics. Give me a job. <laughs> um, and then that led to doing uh, an issue of Grim Tales of Terror for Zenoscope. Um, Pat Shand, who has his own uh, company now, uh, Space Between Entertainment, and works with different publishers. Um, I have the, he's, you know, because of him, I got that first writing gig. And then um, after that, you know, nothing for a while until we decided to do this uh, uh, Porter So Strong. Oh, wow, that's super interesting. Well, I, 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 I like that the um, Go Make Comics on your website plan worked out. So, and here we are. Um, yeah. What? How, so, you kind of gone through the beginning. Like, how did actual anthology come about? Like, where'd you, where'd the whole idea come for it um, and kind of the genesis of it? Um, I was, uh, uh, the idea, um, to give credit where credit due, is due is, um, at the time, that I thought of it, I had, I was remembering Love is Love, which I think is Love is Love is probably right now still like the, or one of the most successful, you know, charity comic book anthologies. Um, and, you know, I'm growing up and loving comic books and reading comic books of all types. Um, you know, you know, comic books is a powerful medium and there's a lot it can do. And I've been through a lot of hurricanes living in Florida and Puerto Rico um, so, I mean, I was, in, I lived through uh, Hurricane Andrew in 92, which is de- devastating for the Miami area. So I pretty much knew what, you know, something like that could do to people. And I was just sitting down one day, you know, when they were like, oh, a second hurricane is going to go through Puerto Rico. And I was like, what is, I was like, how, what are the odds of that? Um, yeah. So, so I contacted Derek, who's the uh, publisher of Dial Brothers and uh, we're good friends. And I said, Hey, did you see this about the hurricane? And um, he was like, yeah. He's like, that's messed up. I'm like, um, do you want to do a charity anthology to help? Because I figure it's not going to be good after this second hurricane hits them. 
I mean, it wasn't good with this first one, but I think it's going to be worse with this one. And he's like, yeah. He's like, let's do that. So I was like, cool. I was like, I'm going to hit up Desiree. Are you good with that? And he's like, yeah. So I contacted Desiree, and I said, uh, are you seeing this? And she's like, yeah, it sucks. I'm paraphrasing here, so I don't remember if she said, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> but that, that's I, uh, that's <laughs> so I brought it up to her, and she was – all for it, and then Derek um, wanted to bring in um, Neil, um, who's worked with Dabble before, and now he works at Nickelodeon. Um, and then from there, we just moved on it. You know, it was, it was like, okay, what is it going to be about? And what it is to Desiree, uh, the title is Derek. Um, you know, Puerto Rico strong is not something new. That's a term that's used before. So Derek, that would be the perfect thing for the title because it's already something that um, Puerto Ricans and other Hispanics are familiar with. Um, and then Desiree came up with our overall uh, theme, which she drew, wrote this great, uh, I think it was like a paragraph, so maybe, maybe a little more. I don't remember. And so I would use that to like, you know, going out to creatives. Before we got it with Lionforge, um, I went out to some creators, uh, artists, and writers. And we got some early people on board. Um, but I would usually, I would use that summary that Desiree wrote, um, to basically say, Hey, you know, you want to join us? This is what it's about. It's going to be awesome. And as part of the thing, when I went to, um, Lionforge, since I did used to write for them and I worked a lot with Carl Reed, who's the co-owner. So I said, Hey, you know, Desiree's involved. We're doing this. Are you interested? And like, I think I got an immediate reply. He's like, I got to go into a meeting. I'm going to pitch. I'll let you know how it goes. And I was like, okay, that was easier than I thought. And now, months later, here we are. I hear um, you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. There we go. Yep. Sorry, I muted myself. I have a habit of doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, when it comes to actually bringing all the creators together, like what's the process of that, like, how do you approach it? How do you come up with a list? I'm always fascinated of these anthologies with so much talent being brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's funny because, um, uh, when we did, uh, me and two of the other editors last week, we did an interview with the Washington Post about this. And that was one of the things he was that he was asking. And, uh, and, uh, when I was telling them, um, how that process came about, I gave, uh, credit again to Desiree and, uh, cause she had a list. Of like, like we were thinking, like in my head, I was thinking typical comic book people you go to. Like I was like, okay, I'll go to like popular uh, ethnic, you know, uh, Hispanic, you know, Mexican, Puerto Rican comic book creators, and then other ethnic popular creators. And Desiree was like, let's think outside the box. And I'll let her pick up from here so she can uh, talk about her outside the box, which is I think what made this anthology a lot more interesting than I would have been if I was just like, let's just go for comic book people that are known and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, oh, oh gosh. <laughs> okay. So I, I feel like anybody who's listened to me talk about comic books know that I, I, it's, it's so weird, but I freaking love Excel sheets. Like I love Excel workbooks <laughs> and there's a point to this, I promise. Um, like I'm not just a weirdo who likes Excel workbooks. I mean, I am, but it, there's a purpose to this. So one of the things I do on the daily with, you know, working at Lionforge is we, you know, we have a talent Rolodex essentially. And what it is, it's, it's like an Excel workbook that I made. And uh, so I have one 
you know, for my personal use. And whenever there's like a hashtag, like drawing while black or visible women or like Latinx creates, like I'll go through that tag, pull people's names and I'll sort them through my workbook. I really hope that doesn't sound crazy. Um, but it's just a great way to keep an eye on talent that isn't getting hired by you know, mm-hmm. mainstream publishers that are super talented, you know, or, or people that just like, I want to keep an eye on, um, you know, like you're not quite there yet. Yeah. 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 Like you might not be there yet, but you have potential. And I think I, you know, I could get you for a cover work or something like that, you know, like, or maybe you'd be really good for like an opening later down the line, you know, or I can recommend you to like one of my bosses and be like, look at, this is what I have for them already, you know? So, uh, and then it breaks my heart when people don't have like a good website and I'm like, don't use Blogspot, please. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, when, like, Marco came to me and with this list and stuff, you know, I was like, you know, these names are are good, but let's think outside the box here. Like, let's get – let's pull in some of these creators that aren't getting this, you know, retailer notice. Like, you know, they're not not these major publishers, but they're still really talented. They just haven't been given those opportunities. And, you know, and a lot of them are, like, a woman. You know, that was, like, a Mm -hmm. big one. Like, you know, I already – I knew a lot of these – you know, creators or like I'd been following them on Twitter um, as much as like, I don't have Twitter on my phone because it causes me stress, but Twitter is such a great resource for finding. <laughs> that. Um, yeah. And I, always, I always like respond to messages too late and they're like, why didn't you respond? And I'm like, dude, I don't have Twitter on my phone. Um, but yeah, like, and you know, the direct market is, is I find it to be very, very limiting in a lot of cases. And I wanted to make sure that we had the widest appeal possible while also like uplifting, you know, people within our community that don't get the opportunities that, you know, other mainstream people do, um, you know, and like, there's just always been that discussion in comic book circles and in critical circles, like, you know, why you're looking for these people, but you're not hiring the ones that are already here. Like you're, you're giving these stories away about these diverse characters of people that aren't a part of those communities when those people those creators are right here you know so I felt like this was a good way to bring in a lot of you know talent that doesn't get the opportunities that other people are afforded um you know and I've always one of the things I've always liked about anthologies like one of our co-editors Hazel uh I I always butcher her last name so but y'all know Hazel um Mm -hmm. You know, she does. She did two anthologies, Comic for Choice and uh, uh, Bikini Chainmail Bikini or Bikini Chainmail. Um, yeah, and I, I love those two anthologies. Like, I actually got to meet Hazel recently, and she showed them to me, and I was like, "Don't, don't let me hold these. I will take them with me on the plane." Um, <laughs> but you know, and there's just there's a lot of people in those anthologies that you don't see to on like the shelf of a comic book store, but. If comics are going to grow as an industry, I think we need to embrace other avenues outside of those comic shops. Like, I love comic shops. Well, I love I love some comic shops. Other comic shops, like, they'd be looking at you all the time when you walk in. Like, I'm not even wearing anything cute. It's just a T-shirt. Like, why are you staring? It's weird. Um, but, you know, like, I, I work at a comic shop. Like, you know, I'm going to go there Wednesday when the book drops. Um, you know, but that can't be the end-all, be-all of this industry. If the industry has any hope of continuing to grow and to develop, 
So I thought this book had such a great appeal for like the book market. And it was really important to me that, you know, if it, if it does well in the book market, that these people's names would be in there, you know, we could show people like, you know, these people that you're not hiring, like these women, especially that you're not hiring, they are talented. Like, you know, they, they have stories that they want to tell and they can tell them well. So yeah, like I had, I had like a whole list, like Marco was like, well, here's what I have. And I'm like, okay, but push forward my name, you know, and, and mm-hmm. let's, let's combine them and get the best product we can. That's amazing. I mean, I, I really think that what you're doing in terms of curating active lists of people who are making comics, who are, you know, from different racial groups and are like, you know, LGBTQ women, like, you are creating the database that is really the future of like who comics companies should be looking to when they want to bring in new talent. You know, um, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not a comics writer, but I'm sure that if I was, I would be very happy to be in your database. Certainly if somebody was doing a database of like queer comics critics, I would be very happy to be in their database uh, to, to, to uh, for future recruiting purposes. You know, I mean, that's really an essential step in terms of access really. If somebody was interested in making a workbook on that, I will totally make a workbook on queer comic creators or critics. Oh, well, in that case, no. Not to, I don't want to create more work for you. You're very busy. But, yeah, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Like, I think people would be thrilled to know they were included, and that's, like, one of the reasons why people speak up on social media is so that they can make those connections. But um, I just want to say, like, as somebody who uh, – I did not grow up around an active Puerto Rican community, but I moved to one when I became an adult. I think it's so important that you guys are highlighting Puerto Rican writers and artists in particular and, like, not going broader, frankly, because – to most white people, like, they don't understand the diversity of the Latinx community, even just in terms of, like, the different, you know, like, areas and cultures of origin that people come from. I mean, like, like white people, like, don't know Mexican people from Puerto Rican people, which is insane. Um, you know, you God, go to yeah. try to take somebody to, like, a Puerto Rican restaurant, they're like, oh, I don't eat spicy food. I'm like, that's fine, because this isn't spicy food, you know? Like, it's the level of ignorance is deep. So the, the, the idea of actually, like, really making it the focus here be Puerto Rican talent and, and the story is also being really focused on Puerto Rican culture as well is really an important education, I think, for, for people who don't come from the community to, to see. Yeah, so, like, I feel like you know this about me, Elena, is, like, you know, I come <laughs> from a, a teaching background. Like, I worked in child care for, like, four years, and um, it was really important, you know, to me, like, it to me, it's one of my goals just working in any kind of, like, a like fictional media, you know, and this goes back to when I was writing articles and such is just to educate people because ignorance, if somebody is empathetic enough to listen, can be cured, you know, is mm-hmm. what I believe. Mm-hmm. So for the anthology, like one of, one of the goals was to curate stories that could also double as, you know, an educational value. Like, because you're right. Like I, I can't even fault people sometimes like, and not knowing about Puerto Rico because you don't learn it in school. Like, like I think I lost one chapter in social studies in like fourth grade that mentioned it. They were like, mm-hmm. "No, it's an island. America owns it, but we're not going to call it owning it specifically." <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, that was one of the things that we we wanted to do with the stories that we were curating for the anthology. Like, we wanted to do fun stuff too. Like, you know, 
I know Marco has a story in the anthology that's like really cool and really fun, but still about like you know specific like folk tales and stuff from mythology. So it wasn't just it's not just straight education, but you know I think even the stories or in the pinups too that we have like um, Sabrina Centron did a beautiful pinup. Um, you know that's all based around like the the previous religion of you know, um, you know, the island of the Tayano and Indians and such. And so even like the, the more fun works are also still, I think, educational in a way. So, but that was definitely like a, like a goal. Definitely. I, I really liked how there were, and there also felt like there was mythology and history shared at like different kinds of reading levels. Like there were portions of it that I feel like you could bring into, to, to, to youth. Not, no, youth can read anything, but like to children, I should say. And then parts of it, there were obviously like, you know, for a more advanced reading level. And I thought that that's, you know, an interesting thing to have in the anthology in terms of its ability to be something that could be useful for parents and teachers as well as for folks who just want to read it themselves. So, so I think that was pretty darn cool. But another thing that I was really excited to see in the anthology specifically was, um, that there are a lot of stories that really frame what the situation is now in Puerto Rico in the context of the economic violence that's been done against the island, you know, for, for since time immemorial. Um, you know, I, if I have one critique about some charity, no, I, I don't want to say charity anthologies in comics because it's not specific to this and others don't necessarily even do this in comics, but there's, if I have one critique about the dialogue that there is around charity and culture in general, it's that a lot of the time it doesn't acknowledge the cause of the problems as something in which there are, there are people who have done things that are wrong to other people. There are systems that have been created that deliberately harm other people. Uh, the world isn't just bad for no reason at all. The world is bad because people like Christopher Columbus and Monsanto and, and Santander Bank you know, exist and colonialism exists and like, it's not an accident. So it was made me really happy to see that there were stories in here included with other, you know, included with a lot of different kinds of tones and stories that also really showed like, you know, okay, like why is Puerto Rico have economic problems? Here's why. Um, and I think that that's a really important education for people to, to get looking at it because there's so much dialogue in the public where they act like, the fact that some places have less money than others is like an act of God, or they act like it's a product of the people who live there being lazy or whatever. And there's, and it's just racist, right? Like they don't understand the concept, the context that created the situation. So I was super excited to see that. And I think it was one of the very first ones in the book um, that really had a, like a nice straightforward breakdown with a teacher talking to her, to his class in the future in space. Do you remember who's the writer and artist on that one? Oh, um, do you remember that, Desiree? I'm looking at the contributing teams to figure out which one that is. <laughs> that yeah, it right is, up, it right up front. Uh, yeah. it's Tarwater, and the art is by Cynthia Santos. Um, and yeah. if, I, yeah. if I butcher names, guys, blame New Jersey. They screwed up my pronunciation on everything. <laughs> um, I thought that was such a great story to include really early where it was uh, uh, in terms of just like giving people the context, the political context that the crisis came to be in, you know? That's uh, one of the... Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I was going to say that's that's one of the things that we had early on when we were discussing um, 
the after Desiree had written the overall what the anthology was going to be about, we then did a breakdown of topics to cover because you know when you're whether you're going to somebody that's Puerto Rican themselves, um, you know sometimes like you know we wanted to be like hey you could make a personal story if you have a personal something personal you want to say or something personal you know maybe you have family that's still living over there. Um, some of the creators that we have involved with this do live, still live over there and were, were, the, um, were there when it happened and then left and then went back to the island. Um, but we broke down a list based, you know, on, on stuff that we could, you know, offer to people and say, hey, you can choose something from here or you can, you know, just do something that's not on this list. You don't have to stick to this list. So part of that list was the stuff of dealing with um, explaining to people why Puerto Rico is in the situation they're in when it comes to the economy and still being in um, uh, a recession for like 10 years or so and, you know, um, and, and things like that and why the island the situation is and the relationship it has with the U.S. Um, so I really dig that you like um, that we did that because that was, um, you know, it was, and it also goes back to the whole thing that um, Desiree really wanted this to be a very educational tool. Um, and I do agree that when you have anthologies that set out to make money um, to help a set of people, um, they sometimes or they never talk about why is it that this situation happened, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's always just like, you know, telling a story, you know, that people will enjoy, but it's never trying to like, you know, you, you, you can tell the good, but then you also have to, have to tell the bad, you know, sometimes people don't want to tell the bad because then they're like, ah, people will be bummed down and then they really want to pick it up. And I'm like, well, you know, if people don't know the bad or they don't want to get faced with it. And you're never going to like solve a problem. You're just raising money to put a bandaid on an issue that's never going to have a solution. Very well said. Um, so that's interesting. So you guys had like a topic sort of like guidepost that you put out there about the kinds of things you wanted the creators to cover. Yes. Um, we had went, um, you know, the, uh, on the list we had done, it was like, okay, personal stories. And it was basically the personal stories that was like, um, uh, like I said before, stories that, you know, if you're currently living over there um, or if you have family that's living there, then something like that. Um, and then all those per- personal stories of you growing up, you know, as, as a Puerto Rican, either in Puerto Rico or New York or another state. And then it was like um, the other stuff we had was the um, uh, birth control, the birth control uh, stuff yeah. that, uh, the U.S. government uh, did on the women. Um, and then the stuff like um, I'm totally – like, if this was, like, earlier, I would be remembering all of this. Um, the reason um, why, you know, Puerto Rico is in the States. Like, take over, Desiree, because I'm literally forgetting yeah. them. <laughs> but, look, it was, like, like the email chain was so long. It was, like, 100 messages in one email chain, and I was, like, we need to move this. Um, no, so, yeah, we had, like, like personal stories. Uh, we had birth, the birth control trials. Uh, the Jones Act was another one, the debt crisis. Um you know, any kind of, like, historical fiction or nonfiction, um, and then anything about, like, Puerto Rican culture. Like, those kind of sound broad, uh, but we the, – the focus was to show the diversity of, you know, Puerto Rican culture and the Puerto Rican people. Um, you know, and there's, there's so much that you can do with that, and it, it was still – we still remain pretty focused, I feel, you know, because we wanted a little bit of history. You know, we wanted – you know, a little bit of, of fantasy in there. We wanted, you know, a little bit about 
the hurricane and how that personally affected people and the resilience that came from that. Um, you know, and also like the, the anger and the sadness. And so really, I think in a way the anthology is almost like therapeutic, you know, like I, I've read through the review copy um, a couple times now and, you know, we, we do, I feel like we did accomplish having like a, like a certain diversity of storytelling in that, you know, we do have some more hopeful stories. Um, you know, we do have some really cool mythology pieces. We do have a lot of things on like the Tayano Indians. Um, there's a great story by Vita Alea and Jamie Jones in particular that I really like. Um, you know, we also have stuff on the debt crisis and we have, you know, things on the birth stories on the, the birth trials. And, you know, we have personal stories, personal fictional stories about like how the aftermath of the hurricane and how people are, were affected by the hurricane. So it was all to show the, the diversity of the Puerto Rican people as a whole, you know, cause we're, we're a diverse culture. Um, you know, we're a, a diverse community. And, you know, I, like Marco was saying earlier, uh, with, you know, acknowledging, you know, that the history, like history is, is not good. Like history has good moments, history has bad moments. And if you really want to move forward in your history, you know, to, to be better, I believe you have to acknowledge, you know, the, the nastier parts, you know, there are times when you're going to have to acknowledge the darker parts if you want to actually truly make changes. And, you know, to me, that comes from being really empathetic and, um, you know, working to, to just continue to educate yourself. So, but yeah, those are some of the topics that we had sent to potential contributors. Um, you know, we just kind of gave them like the, the pitch and then we gave them like the, the bullet points of like, here are some of the stories that we're looking for. Don't feel limited, but these are the things that we do want to focus on. So, and I think a lot of people, like, a lot of people ran with that, and a lot of people responded really well to that, so. That's really good advice for folks who want to do similar projects to this. Thank you. And, and then, actually, that's really leading into my next question, which was, like, how do you determine the order that the stories would be in? Because I, I definitely sensed that there, was, that there was thought in that sequencing. I got to give credit where credit is due. That was, like, Hazel that like she put a lot of thought into like the order of the stories when we were assembling the book, um, you know, and that was one of the reasons why, like when we had brought it to Lion Forge, like, you know, they had, I had requested, I was like, you know, I don't want to be like, I don't feel um, experienced enough to, you know, to be like the head editor as far as like the Lion Forge staff went, you know, and Hazel has so much great experience with making anthologies and making successful, brilliant anthologies. So her help was really invaluable to the creation of this. Um, and she's so sweet because, you know, there would be stories and she's like, you know, I'm a white person. So I like, you, yeah. tell me, oh my God. <laughs> like, you know, she was, she was a true ally through everything. And uh, yeah, just major, major props to Hazel. Like she really helped, especially in like the ninth hour, like we had an editor's summit and um, the book had to go to printer. And me and Hazel were just constantly, like, going through it. And her eye was fantastic. Like, and watching her work was so cool. Um, but, yeah, she, she busted her, her butt. I don't know if I can curse on this. Um, but she, yeah, she you busted. You can do all the cursing. Okay, cool, because I'm from Jersey. So, you know how we do. Um, but, yeah, she busted <laughs> her ass. 
on this anthology for us. And I'm so grateful for all the help that she, she did, but yeah, she was, yeah, she was really invaluable in like assembling the stories and, you know, coming up with like the order of things. Yeah. I have to second what uh, Desiree said. Um, Cause when, you know, we brought it to Lion Forge, um, um, we had no idea that, you know, there was going to be a fifth person working with us on it. And, um, and I'm glad there was cause Des, uh, Hazel was, um, just really awesome throughout the whole thing from the first meeting we had, you know, to go over the project um, all the way to the end. Um, she was one of the best, you know, surprises to have on this anthology. And, you know, it's when you talk about things like this, especially like, you know, years from now, depending on how well this thing does, which I hope it does like amazingly well. Um, she's one of those people that I feel that, you know, should it should be stated that if um she was an equal contributor and like Desiree said, a great ally and um she really brought a lot to the table in terms of how this whole thing shaped up to be. Awesome. Yeah, a good editor is is a essential factor for all of that. For real, for real. Um you know, I definitely felt like some of the uh the stories that were the more personal stories about family in there, a number of them were really, really emotional. Um, you know, how do you figure out how to keep those stories like intelligible to, uh, to like a range of audiences? Like, I don't know like what kind of editorial process you guys have. I guess this is something more just than just those stories, but like, what kind of editorial process do you have with working with the talent when folks are submitting stuff for a project like this? I make more workbooks. Like I make huh? a, I make like a more Excel workbooks. Like I make um, like I made a tracking form that basically lists like all the contributors, um, you know, and like what they were doing, <laughs> and you know like how many pages their stories were going to be. And Marco was so helpful with all that information. Like, thank God for Marco. Um, Cause <laughs> he would be like, Oh, well you're missing. He's like, here's the emails for this person. Cause yeah, I, I broke everything down like page, like page count, you know, cause we to make sure that we were hitting our page count. Um, yeah. Page count email, put like position for what, you know, they were hired for. Um, there was a separate workbook for uh, like their story titles, what was complete on their story, what needed to be completed. And Marco was so good about keeping that up. Like I would go in there and Marco would already have it like updated and everything. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like you're a literal angel. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Desiree is killer with uh, Excel because I uh, loathed even back in high school when you had to learn when you had the computer class and you're like all right time to learn Excel and PowerPoint and all that stuff I'm like no <laughs> I, I I don't know how I don't know how you do it because I just despise I mean I can sit on Photoshop and I'll teach myself Photoshop I mean because I come from an art background before I decided to be a writer um, but I can't yeah. any of the X, Excel stuff I can't do um, but with the creators. Um, and their stories, I don't think at any one point, um, most of the time it was about mas- massaging the story to get the best story out of it, but I don't think there was ever any point where we said, um, this isn't exactly what we want, or I don't, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember that any time we got a story in, it was, pr- it pretty much hit the mark, 
if anything, it was just like, you know, um, maybe it was just a little tweak, helping tweak, you know, with like maybe, you know, you emphasize a little bit of this or, you know, things like that. Um, but for the most part, even beyond that with, you know, doing a tweaking, I think everybody that we had, they pretty much brought it on a professional level. Because even though maybe a good number of the people in this anthology aren't known in the mainstream comics, and I feel really weird saying mainstream comics, because when you have Renee, who I, I don't want to say her last name because I'm going to ruin it, but she's the best-selling comics, you know, graphic novelist right now. Um, and, you know, through Scholastic. And so it's always funny when you think of, like, mainstream comics and you're like, mm, is Marvel PC? Oh, and uh, Raina Telgemeier? Yeah, there we go, Raina. I don't know why I'll say her name. Um, nope. uh, but when you think of, like, mainstream comics and, you know, it's like she's selling, like, millions of copies, you know, and so it's funny to say, like, yeah, these names may not be known in the mainstream but honestly, when I would be checking out some of these people's, you know, social media accounts and other work that they do, it really showed that, I mean, what we think of mainstream isn't really, I guess, main, it isn't really mainstream. There's a totally different mainstream out there. So these people were bringing it, they were all bringing it on a professional level because even though to the small core comic book industry, they might not, may not be known, they've been doing this for a while to a totally different and in some cases wider and larger audience. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And then you really have the different styles of like sort of the, 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 the more youth oriented stuff, the, the um, more like uh, book market oriented comics, things that kind of come out of the web comics world as well as stuff from superhero land. And yeah, that we had all like, all those, the people that are involved in this, I know one, let's see, um, I forget her name, um, but I know one of the creators is a, um, she worked on, it was a story with uh, Rodney Spinoza, Tara Martinez, who I believe is just a novelist. She just does books. And I think this was mm. the first time she did a comic book script. Um, oh, interesting. And, yeah. And one of the other creators, I think Tristan, if I'm, right, if I'm not mistaken, Tristan Tarwater does a lot of novels, right, does Ray? I mean, she does comic yeah, book stuff, Tristan, but then she does a lot of novels, too. Yeah, Tristan is mostly novels. Um, we also had Anthony Orteo, and he's a novelist. Um, I believe this is the first comic script that he actually did with us. He did a story with um, with Charles um, and uh, I can't say Charles is last name, but they did a story, and I can't say what the story is because the book's not out yet, but they did a really, really awesome story together, and this was uh, Anthony's first comic script, I believe, and if I'm wrong, Anthony will, like, message me on Twitter, and he'll be like, why you got it wrong, girl, and I'll be like, oh, man, Anthony, I'm sorry, um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we did, like, you know, I, I knew Anthony, we met at New York Comic Con last year for the Latinx Geeks um, panel. Uh, Invisible Latinx yeah. at New York Comic Con, um, you know, and we had, we had been mutuals on Twitter for a while, but yeah, we finally met, and they, first of all, they were all taller than me, all those panelists, I was like, what the heck, um, <laughs> so, and then Tristan, like, I knew we had been mutuals on Twitter as well, um, you know, she's the one who made the Latinx create tag, um, you know, so yeah, but those were two people that, yeah, they had never, like, they, 
they have never written like a comic script, comic script. And, you know, this was, they mostly novelists, but their stories are, are both really good. That's really neat. Like a way to introduce different kinds of skills into the comics medium as well, you know? Yeah. You know, can I just say about that panel at New York Comic Con, which I just just thought was really one of the best panels at New York Comic Con. And I think it was also like the first time I heard somebody speak Spanish from the stage, which was really important because like we're in New York City and it's a multilingual city, you know? Um, Yeah. Like last night, like uh, Alexis and Rain and a couple other, other people that were on that panel, we already decided like, if we get another panel at New York Comic Con, I'm gonna bring like my a little Alexa dot, and we're gonna like just like play suavemente or something up in there, like some like bachata, merengue. Like we're gonna go hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly about time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I have an interesting question. Like, so you know, Brett and I are both Jewish, and there's definitely a lot of conversation that we have about like ways in which Jewish culture inform certain aspects of like comics culture and comics history and comics creation and you know there definitely are like Puerto Rican folks who have been active in comics and have been part of shaping the medium like do you think that there's like certain aspects of like Puerto Rican culture that are sort of visible in in comics like now that 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 as people see them and experience them um I don't I mean Man, I don't know. I don't know if I could say yes. It might be different um, for Desiree because I mean, if you, I mean, if you sit and think like you know, um, in the industry, and you know, and how it began, and the creators that later came up, the more ethnic creators in the seventies, and you know, um, yeah, beyond that, you know, George Perez is probably the biggest, one of the most biggest known ethnic minority, you know, and he's Puerto Rican. Um, mm-hmm. but in terms of the stamp, you know, that, you know, that specific group has left on comics or Latinos in general, I don't know if we have left one. Cause I can think of outside of George Press, other, uh, you know, um, you know, Hispanic minority creators like, you know, Umberto Ramos and, um, um, and of course I just had one in the back of my head and I just lost it, <laughs> but I can, uh, um, there's one thing who works for Milestone who um, wrote one of their best uh, comics back in the 90s. And uh, I think it was Syndicate. Um, I forgot what it was called. Um, something Velasquez Jr. Oh, Blood, um, Blood, the guy who did Blood Syndicate? Yes, yes. Ivan Velasquez Jr., I think his name is. Um, so there, we've had our fingerprints over the industry throughout the years, but I don't know if we've actually left, you know, something that you can point out and say this is, the impact that, you know, Latinx people have had on the industry. Mm. I think it's coming soon and, or maybe it's just not, I'm not seeing it. I mean, that could be the, the thing, but I don't think, I think we've left, the, I think we've had fingerprints over it, but I don't think we've left a strong mark. You know, there's little touches, but an overall, you know, strong um, presence or something you can point to, I don't think we have yet. What do you think, Desiree? I mean, I'd probably have to agree. Like, I can't, I don't know much about, like, comic history, so I, I don't know that how much I can speak on it specifically. Um, 
you know, when, like, Milestone was happening, like, I was, like, five. <laughs> I was. I was still a little, uh, like a little baby geek. Like I hadn't had not hatched yet. Um, you know, so, but I think we're seeing, you know, I agree with Marco. Like we've had like our finger and our pulse on a lot of comics. Um, I mean, George Perez is a, is a huge influencer on me personally. Um, and I got to meet him years, a couple years ago at like a Megacon. Like I think it was like Megacon fan days. Because the real Megacon just seems really intimidating to me. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was just super cool to meet, like, the Puerto Rican, like, illustrator and storyteller, you know, of comics. And, you know, I told him that, and he hugged me, and I turned, like, bright red. It was awesome. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, there's, like, there's Phil Jimenez, and, you know, and, like, he's fantastic, too. And I can't say that, like, yeah, we've left, like, a specific mark. Like, there are characters, you know, like, there's White Tiger, um, there's Miles Morales, um, there's Anya Corazon when they let her be Spider Girl or a Spider Person. My um, favorite Spider character. <laughs> there's Renee Montoya, um, you know, but there, like, Renee Montoya has, is probably, like, DC's, to my knowledge, um, biggest like Latinx character and beyond like her no love for vibe (laughs) no love for vibe no I mean kind of no love for vibe I think that's important (laughs) (laughs) oh that's yeah that's true actually Blue Beetle though is legit like the youngest Blue Beetle does actually have people who really do care about him yeah Blue Beetle's another one um but I don't think people care about vibe I honestly don't sorry (laughs) I mean except for the except for the flash show like and I I love Ramon but before that you know I mean and then it just goes I mean this is a different conversation then it just goes to show you like how media can change perceptions of characters and really uplift them I mean who knew what the who the Guardians of the Galaxy were before the movies um Mm -hmm. please don't come at me Guardians of the Galaxy fans on Twitter please like I I won't respond um, but yeah, like so rarely do we see you know Latinx characters be able to write for these characters. Like a big conversation topic has been the lack of Latinx identity for Morales, Miles Morales. Like he's such a huge character in the Marvel universe, and rightfully so. Like I really like Miles, um, you know. But and this was something we spoke about on like the the panel and such, you know, last year at New York Comic Con. But he he lacks. A Latinx identity, which is insane to me, because he's Puerto Rican in New York. Like he's a yeah. black Puerto Rican kid in New York City. There's a huge, there's such a big population of Puerto Ricans in New York City. Like I used to it's spend the summers ethnic group in the in the city, I believe. Yeah, I used to spend summers there with my papi and like his little dog Bumbun, and you know we used to walk through the city and like you know he knew. He knew everybody, and everybody knew Bobby. They'd be like, hey, Luis. Um, you know, but, yeah, like, he, it's it's strange that he lacks, like, he's such a big character, but he lacks that, intri- and, like, that identity to him. Um, and I think he would be, like, one of the biggest steps forward. Um, but, you know, then we have, like, uh, you know, we are making strides. I do believe that. Like, there are, there are more characters now. We're having these conversations. Um, you know, we're, you're seeing more creators speak up 
you're seeing, you know, more people talk about diversity and the, the desire and the need and the drive to tell stories, you know, that are about like their cultures and their communities and, you know, and write stories that are just diverse in nature and not just to fill a quota, you know, or to get a, to get a press line, you know, or, or to end up on the, mm-hmm. the cover of like Vanity Fair or whatever. I don't know magazines, but. Yeah, that's legit. That, that, that would be okay, one where cool. that would happen. I was like, was that a tabloid or, or, or something else? I can't remember. <laughs> so but I yeah, think no, it's, I think it's, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's no, um, I know there's a lot of new conventions that are strictly for like, you know, Latinx creators or like predominantly for Latinx creators. Um, you know, like I said, there's just, I think it's happening, but it's, it's still going to take time. I feel like the one thing that people have definitely pointed out to me is that like there's definitely been a tradition of like Puerto Rican creators working on Wonder Woman. And I'm sort of interested in like in the modern age, I should say, you know, like between Perez and Jimenez, like that's sort of, I think a, 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 probably connects in, in some ways to like for being a character that I've seen a lot of Latinas like do cosplay as in particular. But um but it's interesting that it does sort of sound more like there's like particular individuals who are Puerto Rican who've done amazing stuff in comics who are like some of like the big, big influential names, but it's not like a movement or like the way you'd be like, Oh, here's all the Scottish guys who kind of all came out at the same time. You know what I mean? It doesn't have mm-hmm. that same sort of, a, sort of a moment behind it, even though like Perez is huge, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, you I know fun- also mentioned- no, 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 go ahead. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I did. You got? Have you guys done much reading of uh, the Boric Kenya, like the superhero comic that came out? I guess a couple, two, maybe two years ago, started coming out. <laughs> I read the. I think it's only been. Has there only been one issue, one issue for that book? I read. Oh, there's like a little like trade, like a like a little trade. I, I think I, I think I only read. Then a part of that because I went. Uh, Back when I was a contributing writer for Bleeding Cool, um, everyone please, you know, take put up, put away your pitchforks. Um, when I was a contributing writer for Bleeding Cool, I uh, I did a review for it, and um, I talked to um, I think Edgardo is um, his name, yeah, um, the creator, mm-hmm. um, and um, I uh, I like the idea of the character. I like the idea of any. Let me put it this way: I like the idea of any Puerto Rican who wants to throw their hat in the ring of comics and uh, put out comic books with uh, Latinx leads. Like, you do it, mm-hmm. I'll read it. Um, even if I don't like it, I'll still be like, you should check this out. <laughs> I just won't say whether I like it or not. Um, just because I think the more you have people that are Puerto Rican doing it, the more you have have um, uh, people who either they're young or teenagers or adults, if they have artistic or writing talent um, or ability they've been honing, they may, they may think to themselves, you know, comic books is a possible avenue uh, for me. Um, and it goes back to that whole, um, a lot of what people say is, you know, if you see um, positive influences of people out there in comic book characters, or we see creators of that 
you know, ethnic group out there creating, it gives other people hope and it gives other people think they can go, I can do this um, too. Um, so I think that character being out there is a great um, thing for the industry. And I know it's been making the rounds for a while. I think he's been, he's been putting out stuff and doing a lot of uh, shows and interviews with that character for good, you know, I think you said a couple of years it's been going on now. Um, so I, I'm happy that it exists out years. there. Yeah, like, I mean, Edgardo, like, he, he hustles. Like, Matt was yeah. for him because he hustles. And he's been pushing, you know, that book. And, um, you know, I, I did a review for I believe, uh, one issue for um, Women Read About Comics a while, a while back. Oh, gosh, I feel so old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my birthday is next month, and, like, I'm like, oh, my God, how old am I turning? I can't remember. Um, you know, but, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, what I like about what he's done and what the character is, is it's just so, like, she's so unashamedly Puerto Rican. Like, she's Afro-Latina. She's, you know, a vi- environmentalist. Like, she's, you know, very millennial without being obnoxious. Like, what people say millennial girl. <laughs> You know, with, with our $19 avocado toast, like, I have a Cuban friend and her father, like, actually grows <laughs> avocados, and she's like, $19 avocado yeah. toast? Are you what is that? Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I just, I love, you know, that the character is so unashamedly Puerto Rican, and, you know, it's, like, I think what we need, you know, for not just Puerto Rican characters, but for Latinx characters in general, is we need that richness of of characters. We need those different characters. We need those diversity of characters. Um, you know, we need just th- th- and that's how you avoid stereotypes. Like I was watching a panel um, the other day for the movie festival, like S W S X or so. I have just like letters, like yeah, that one. Um, you know, it was called the Wakanda and Beyond. And one of the cool things that the panelists were talking about, you know, in terms of Black Panther was, you know, you were able to have such a multitude of different characters. You know, you were able to have, you know, a Black antagonist and a Black and multiple Black heroes and with all multiple different viewpoints. And you were able to do that because you were coming at this from a place of such sincerity and authenticity. And I think that's what, you know, Latinx characters and Latinx representation needs more of is just that authenticity and you know and that's where behind the scenes we need more Latinx voices um and that's why like a like a goal for the anthology was to make sure that the talent was you know and the contributors were you know majority Puerto Rican or Latinx um because you know it one it was an opportunity like Anytime mm-hmm. that I'm able, I, you know, as, you know, an editor, like I try to find people who just, who are deserving of those opportunities, um, but aren't like, I don't, I don't see them getting them, you know? And I'm like, you're talented. Like, you know, you, you deserve those opportunities. Um, and, you know, the, the other part was that, so the story could be as authentic as possible, you know, because sometimes you get charity anthologies about a specific topic and you're not involving the community that you're trying to help. And I think yep. that I think that hurts in in a way. Like it's still appreciative because it's for charity, but 
you're if you're not involving the community, you're still like you're still keeping it separate, you know. And I I find that 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 hurts, you know. Like there are creators that are a part of all these all there's so many marginalized creators out there. Like there's so many creators from these communities that, you know, are so deserving of these opportunities. And when a, a charity anthology comes out that's directly about their, you know, community and they're not involved in it, like what is that? Like Lionforge just yeah. printed just published a uh, black comics returns, which is a beautiful book. I'm not just saying that because I work for the company either. Like the book is gorgeous. Um, <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, the cover, the cover I've seen is just amazing. Yeah. 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 The, the cover is, is that like, I have a friend and she's like a, she's a geek, but not a geek geek like I am. Um, and she mm-hmm. is like, I, I want this. And I'm like, yeah, but this is, this is my copy. Like let's go, <laughs> let's go buy you a copy, but this is my copy. Um, you know, but it's like you can't have a book like that, which is supposed to highlight, you know, black creators and like focus on like white people, like you know, yeah, you know, or have a have a anthology that's about like birth control and then focus on like how men feel, like you yep. know, if it's specifically about like abortion, you know, like those are stories that you know women should be like given the priority to tell, you know, um, and then within that group, like make sure you're you're pulling in all different sorts of women, you know, make sure you're pulling in women of color, make sure you're pulling in queer women, make sure you're pulling in trans women, because that issue affects all of us differently. And all those different views are very valid and they need to be shared so that we can all learn more and just be better educated, you know, about like our communities and, and really about ourselves. So I lost my train of thought, but yeah. No, but that's, that's like totally right on. I mean, I also just want to say, you know, when I was, Tweeting about when I was tweeting to promote this podcast episode, you know, I, I realized, and I'm going through the, the and going through the book at the same time, that like so many of the issues that my friends who are organizers and activists work on, um, and it's like, it, and they are involved in the comic that you guys created. Like so many of the issues, whether it was people who are fighting uh, Promesa, you know, and the predatory arrangements that have been set up by the banks to try to ex- continue extracting wealth from Puerto Rico without actually investing in the country at all, whether it's the women who lost their ability to, to determine whether or not they would have children in the future because of, like, a super genocidal uh, forced sterilization regime. Like, you know, I was able to, you know, shout out to friends who are working um, on rebuilding, friends who are working on campaigns to hold the banks accountable, sure folks who work on reproductive access and reproductive justice and be like stories about all of these issues that you guys are fighting for in this comic. You know, it's not, it's not just about one thing. It's like the whole intersection of economics and gender and race and colonialism, like with Puerto Rico in that, in, in, in the, in the anthology. And I think that's just so much more valuable than another approach would have been. So just shout out to you guys. Um, yeah, uh, so we're, we're coming up on an hour. Uh, do you guys want to um, tell us where, one more, where we can find your work online and where we can get the anthology as well? Oh, my God, I forgot to ask an essential question, which was how did you decide which specific uh, nonprofit should be getting the money that you're raising? We uh, – <laughs> <laughs> we uh, – <laughs> The we originally had um so what had happened was uh, we had 
we had one that we chose. It, 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 it became a, a bit of a thing, and I know I think we just finalized the um, details with the charity um, that we're uh, that um, Lineforge is going to be working with, and I think they're announcing this week, if I'm not mistaken, Desiree, um, who that charity will be. Um, uh, yeah, like the press release for the charity, um, you know that we that we worked with, um, and it was. It went through a really heavy vetting process, and I like I can't talk about it because of like confidentiality and such. Um, sure. But you know, it went through a very very heavy vetting process with you know actually like most of our upper management, and you know they a press release for the charity is going to be released, I believe, Tuesday or Wednesday when the book drops, um, and it's it's going to break down where. Every little, like, all the money is going to go. Um, it was a very, it, I saw the breakdown. It's very detailed. Um, there's also, like, a couple tidbits of extra special news that's going to be in that press release, um, hmm. you know, that I, I think is going to, like, get people, like, really, really hype. Um, it's, it's really cool. Um, again, I can't talk about it. <laughs> like, I like my job, guys. <laughs> um, I think the thing is with, that, with charities is when you think of, like, um, because it's really something that you learn, especially when we did this, is when you think of like, oh, you know, we'll pick a charity and bada bing, bada boom, you know, that's it. And it's really not at all. Because you sit there and you're like going down your, we were talking to each other, this charity, that charity, this charity. And of course, these are all predecisions that we're thinking before we have to say like, oh, Lionforge, look at these. And then it goes to mm-hmm. Lionforge, it's like, okay, which of these is going to be where the majority of the money or all the money is actually going to helping the people? And it's not a charity where only a percentage of that money is going to help actually help the people. And then from there, yeah. it, be, it becomes a whole long process of you have to work out, and this is where the lawyers come in. And the one thing I've learned is someone's pursuing comics and film at the same time is lawyers don't do anything quick. <laughs> no, they really don't. So it takes a bit, and sometimes there's, you know, um, you know, and it just and it just takes a bit, and you realize because in your head you want to think it's just like oh it's so simple, but it's not really that um, simple. So it really is one of those like to me it's a cool eye opener because I like to know about how everything works behind the scenes and anything that I'm interested in. Um, so stuff like that, just seeing how the reality of it is pretty awesome. But from the stuff that I know and um, Desiree knows a little more than me. Some of the stuff I've known and been told is when the news drops, I think people are really going to be surprised and really like happy and excited and very like, okay, I feel very like I know my money is going to a good place and it is going to help um, these people and that, you know, this will be something that will do a lot of uh, good, which is a good thing because I'm sitting here hoping that, you know, uh, love is love. I remember the last numbers, they said for that, I mean, I'm sure it's done way more than the last numbers, but I remember the, reading mm-hmm. the last numbers, it was like 160,000. And, you know, not to make it a competition because it's not because you're helping people, but in my head, I always think of like super optimism. And I'm like, it would be amazing if we did like a million dollars. Yeah. You know, like I hope this sells more than anything like ever. Like literally, I'm just like, come on, Puerto Ricans. We always like to come out and support <laughs> each other and talk about each other. And every time, it's like when you have one, if you're in a Puerto Rican family and one kid is doing something awesome, every single family member's got to be there to cheer them on. So, like, come on, cheer us on, every single one. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing it. You know, I, I, I know I threw in the name of an organization that I personally have supported because they are related to the community organizations that I work with in the mainland. Uh, I'm not going to say that like folks have to do whatever I suggest, but I did put it out there. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, yeah, that specifically uh, which group you're partnering with. Um, I have, I have lots of theories with respect to like where money can do the most, the most good. And also like, questions of like where the money will make the biggest amount of difference um, in terms of like the size of the organization and the ability to like use the money that's brought in. So um, I am excited to see the results of this and I, I promise not to make a big public whatever if uh, it's not my number one, but, um, <laughs> but I'm just <laughs> that out. Um, well, that's good. But yeah, it's true. Like these processes are really important. I know from some groups who have done like sort of smaller one-off fundraisers for nonprofits, if you're working with like a really big, and this is not the case for your anthology, your anthology is going to raise a lot of money, but for like independent comics creators out there who might be thinking of doing a, their own project where maybe you'll be raising a total of like a couple thousand dollars tops, you know, um, like if you're going to go to a big national nonprofit, they like literally might not notice that. Um, and they're not going to really do much to promote it because they have a ton of incoming attention from the media and from folks on social media, like it might not even reach their notice. Um, if you're going to be doing that, you know, several couple, if, if your fundraiser that might give a couple thousand dollars is for a smaller nonprofit, it will make a really big difference to their ability to work and get things done. They might not really know how to promote it on social media. So you might want to take the lead on that yourself, but there's definitely small grassroots groups that like do have a Twitter account and know how to tweet and we'll do it and we'll elevate it that way as well. But I definitely think that you can really have an outsized impact if you're if you are only being you know if you're only able to raise a small amount of money with your project, like look to the community organizations where you can have a direct relationship with somebody in the fundraising or communications department and make sure that they know you and you know them. And I think that really goes a long way. But when they're talking about the kind of money you guys are dealing with, it's a different ballgame. So, so um, and I hope you raise all of that and more. I really do, and I think it can. Um, so, and actually one example, I mentioned this online, I forgot to mention it on the show. I ran into an organizer who I know through labor union work, um, David Galarza, who was organizing a big event with some Puerto Rican union folks in New York in the, in the next week. And I mentioned, I was having you guys on the show to talk about Puerto Rico strong, uh, comic anthology and he had heard of it and he's not a comics reader. So that definitely shows that, um, the anthology, the world, the word is getting out there, you know, folks from outside comics are hearing about it and are excited about it and, Hopefully this will help get it out even more widely. This might be like the first comic that some people pick up. You know, I know that Love is Love anthology was the first comics that some of my friends picked up, you know. I think it's the coolest thing ever to see that this is to to hear that that he heard about um, the anthology because that's the type of thing that gives me goosebumps. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't like like I know tomorrow my friends, I have friends that own two comic shops um, here in Florida. And they're going, you know, they get their books on Tuesday. So I'm just like, I know tomorrow when they go to pick up their books and then they start, you know, sorting them out for the two stores, I'm going to be like, I need pictures or I need somebody to pick me up so I can look <laughs> get the book uh, before it goes up on Wednesday. Um, but uh, before we go into the stuff to finalize this up, because I know we're going past the hour you guys usually do, I wanted to say something, because um, earlier when we were talking about um, Wonder Woman and that a lot of uh, – uh, Latinx people have worked on her. And uh, it's funny 
is I think the reason why, um, and I know uh, Latin culture is known as um, very machismo, um, but I think the reason why you have like George Perez and Sophie Menendez and Latinx, Latinx people that gravitate towards Wonder Woman, because I think that's still my opinion. Um, I grew up surrounded by a lot of Puerto Rican women. Um, when I was a kid, my father was in the military. So there are different periods where he was gone for long periods. Um, so he was always surrounded by strong Puerto Rican women. So I feel like Puerto Rican men and the Latin X men gravitate towards Wonder Woman because I think to them, she kind of represents the women that reared them in their life. Because I feel even though Puerto Rican culture and other Latinx cultures don't know the machismo culture, I think it's more of a matriarchal culture because the women really are the ones that handle all the, you know, um, that do everything in the family, you know, and that are mm-hmm. men and, and, you know, and have, at least to me, the power in the family, even though in some cases it may not seem like that or come off like that. Um, and, I, and I think in, in my opinion, that's why people go toward, you know, a character like Wonder Woman, um, you know, besides the fact that, you know, they grew up or watched it, you know, when the show was out in the 70s or repeats and all that. I really think that that's what draws them towards that character because it reminds them of their mothers or aunts or kind of female cousins and things like that. Um, so, you know, if uh, DC's ever listening to this and they ever want another uh, Puerto Rican writing Wonder Woman, you know, I'm a bit <laughs> available. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you guys again for joining us. Um, I want to get one last, uh, if you want to tell our listeners where they can find you, um, and find your work online and in stores, uh, now is the time. Desiree, where are you on the Internet? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Boricua Desiree. Um, that's, tw- that's my Twitter handle. I mostly tweet about anime if I tweet about anything. Like, if you want to hear me cry over, like, trashy 90s anime, like, that's where you can follow me. Um, and you can also go to my website, latinasmediamusings.com. Um, I'll post, you know, like, if be at a press thing or something like that so but yeah you and you can find all my other social handles there um and then the anthology comes out in comic shop this wednesday and then it's released in bookstores at the end of this month on the 27th so and you can still pre-order it on amazon last i checked so if you want to just order it through amazon pre-order it um or go to your local comic shop and see if they have it awesome and you know i really am a big fan of your critical writing as well, you know, your essays about uh, Latinx representation in comics, your awesome piece about uh, Dick Grayson being Romani, like so many pieces like that have been really important for comics discourse. Um, Especially because, I mean, for real, especially like, yeah, like you you write some of the essays that I link to when I'm explaining concepts to other people, you know what I mean? So Desiree is definitely a big, important comics critic when it comes to these especially you're talking about representation. So if you are the kind of person who listens to this podcast, you're probably the kind of person who would be interested in reading her essays. So go do that. And um, also support her awesome work at Lion Forge, which you can listen to her talk more about on episode 200 that we taped uh, a number of episodes ago. So that's another great place to hear from her. And, uh, and Marco, where can folks find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at uh, Atomic Rex ENT, so uh, A-T-O-M-I-C Rex, R-E-X, E-N-T. Um, I don't have my website anymore that has my work on it. I got rid of it because I'm going to have a new website drop soon with some people that I'm working with on some independent comic book publisher stuff um, that should hmm. be pretty awesome. 
Um, it's going to be independent comic publishing publisher thingy, and we got something that's going to be pretty sweet coming up. We're working with a variety of uh, we're working with a majority of women for that uh, project. Um, so that's going to be awesome. And then I got some other stuff from um, I'm working with a Latino publisher um, on a project. Uh, actually, a few things um, can't say yet. And then you know, so I don't have anything online anymore. So I do have stuff that I've been um, setting up, basically, you know, setting up all the dominoes. Um, and but on my Twitter, I do post stuff like of things like, oh, here's a character design for an upcoming project. The last one I posted was my all Nazis must die um, character Yay! from the story from the story that I'm working on. Um, <laughs> that that uh, I think it's going to be a pretty cool story. If uh, the joke I and I know it's not funny to say this, but the joke that I had told people, I was like, either people are, you know, people are really going to like this, but I'm also going to be one of those people after this comes out, I'm going to be like, I hope nobody shoots me. <laughs> yeah, no, for real, for real. But I'm excited that you're creating that work because it's a fucking important thing. So, yeah. And uh, well, thank oh, you both. one more thing. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? Um, mm-hmm. uh, for anyone that's listening to this that lives in the Tampa area, Tampa, Lakeland, Orlando area, uh, my friends own the two comic shops. They're called Uncanny Heroes. The Uncanny Heroes Tampa, um, we're going to have a signing this Saturday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. where it's going to be me and Jamie Jones, who I like to call the hero artist of this book because he worked on my story and he worked on Vita's story. And he did Vita's mm. story in like a week. He did it oh, in man, a week that's because he originally wasn't supposed to be the artist. We had some issues. He came in, and he was really awesome about it. So it's going to be seeing him there to signing, um, you know, so it should be awesome. So anybody in the area, you know, come on out and uh, have some fun and pick up a copy. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. So uh, next week we're actually going to have one of the Puerto Rican creators who worked on your uh, anthology. He's going to be on the show, in fact. It's Vida Ayala is joining us along with, illustrator Emily Pearson, and hopefully also with colorist Marissa Ruiz will both be joining us on Monday to talk about their new series, The Wilds, which is really stunning and really cool and really freaky and beautiful and political and amazing. And I can't wait to have them on. So that's our guest this upcoming Monday. Um, So yeah, if anybody who began listening to this episode late or wants to listen to it again, it is going to be up on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher within the next couple hours, probably. Uh, it'll certainly all be up online tomorrow, and we encourage you to share the link, share the episode, and help drum up more attention and more money for the uh, awesome charity com- comics charity anthology. Um, you should also always go to graphicpolicy.com for your comics news and views, reviews, movie write-ups. We got Jessica Jones stuff coming up on the site left and right, some really awesome write-ups of Wixes and other comics that I love coming up as well. And, um, and uh, yeah, Follow us on sound on um, iTunes. Obviously, Graphic Policy is a podcast. We're on Twitter at Graphic Policy. I myself am personally on Twitter all the goddamn time, and I should probably stop. My Twitter handle is E L A N A underscore Brooklyn. <laughs> and um, we'll be right back next week. And um, thank you, Brett. I think he's uh, at the control booth and dealing with the various blipping sounds, and hopefully, we'll be able to get that under control. And um, so, as Brett would say, if he was not currently on mute. Keep it geeky.